And it was. It really was for the most part. But one of the things that I've noticed about my life, and maybe you can relate to this, is that things don't always go as planned. Anyone else? I'll just give you a little taste of that. So we were away, and, and I, was, I was preaching the camp, and then after that, we went on, like, real vacation, you know? Uh, preaching a camp is not necessarily a vacation for me. It's work. And, and so we were going to go on a family vacation after that, and so we had to fly, though. And so whenever you fly these days, you're always nervous, right? Uh, I don't know if any of you have flown lately, but you're just nervous. You hear all this stuff on the news, and you're terrified about the flights and everything. Well, we got back from camp on, sun, on Friday, and uh, I was speaking that weekend on a church. We were leaving on Monday for holiday, and so Maximus got really sick. I mean, like, in bed sick, just laying in bed, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, turned out some kid in his cabin, <laughs> had the flu, and so uh, uh, he got sick, and I'm just like, we've got this flight on Monday morning, first thing, 7 a.m., we got to be there, I cannot have this kid being sick, you know, and so we isolated him, we put him in a room, we're like, don't talk to anyone, we're sliding food under the door, you know, and I'm kidding, we were nicer than that, but uh, don't come near me, I don't want to be sick, nobody wants to be sick, of course, and, and, uh, and so he stays in there, well, sure enough, Sunday night, he just starts feeling great. Everything's going good. And so we're like, okay, we're just going to dose this kid up with some DayQuil and we're going to get on the plane, right? Well, Monday morning we wake up and uh, the three other boys start coughing. And of course today, you know, in today's society, right? If somebody's coughing, you're just like, everyone's like the plague, right? You're like, stay away from me. Uh, And so I'm just like, I cannot believe this. They had no other symptoms, no fevers, no nothing. They just started hacking, you know, and, and, uh, and they all have allergy stuff too. So I'm like, it's probably allergies. And uh, they start coughing. I'm like, forget it. We're just, we cannot miss this flight because if we miss this flight, you know, the whole, everything we planned, everything we booked is just, is done. So I'm like, give them Hall's DayQuil or the kid version of DayQuil. Quill, sorry, kid version. You know, give them medicine. They all have holes in their mouth. I'm like, don't cough at all on the plane. All, so the four boys and Jeanette and I, we get on the plane and we go to our we go to our place and we get there and and we had this activity planned when we landed. We landed kind of early, so we're gonna we're gonna go to this activity and then we're gonna go and pick up. Uh, Jeanette had done like a click and collect grocery. You know, we're gonna pick up our groceries. Then we're gonna go to our Airbnb. Everything was perfect. And if you guys know Jeanette, she is the most planned out, perfect person ever. Like if you want to go on vacation and be tired at the end, go on vacation with my wife because she plans it all out. You know, I'm like, I just want to go and sit in a couch and watch Netflix. No, she wants to, she wants to do everything. And I appreciate that because it makes me try new stuff. So she's got, okay, we land at four, we pick up our rental car, you know, we go directly to this place. We have this activity with the boys. We go pick up our groceries. Okay. So the flight gets in a little bit late. The car rental is a little bit hard to get to. We don't get it right at, right at time. Uh, we get to the event that we're supposed to do. We had to wait an extra half an hour before we could do this activity. And then we drive and we go and we missed our grocery pickup by like 15 minutes. So we're now at this, at this Walmart or we miss our grocery pickup. We're like, okay, it's fine. We'll pick it up tomorrow. We go to the Airbnb. The Airbnb doesn't open. The lock isn't, you know, the code isn't working, right? Now it's like 11 o'clock at night. I got four kids by this time. They're all sick. <laughs> so <laughs> they must've got it on the plane. So they're all sick, you know, and, uh, they're, and they're in the car and I'm just like, you know, and I'm sitting there. I'm like, it's 11. You know, I call, I'm calling the lady. I'm messaging her nothing. I'm like, well, obviously she's in bed. Everyone's sick. So then I'm booking a hotel on my phone, which I'm thankful we can do that. It's not like the old days, you know, we can actually do that. I book a hotel. We go to the hotel. We get in there. Everyone's sick. <laughs> now Jeanette is like, I feel terrible. And, uh, <laughs> and we get there. And then the next day, then the lady starts calling us at like midnight, like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I fixed a lot. I was like, well, I already bought a hotel room. You know, we're here. And, and I'm just like thinking to myself, I'm standing, I'm, st- I'm literally standing there at our Airbnb door 
continually punching the buttons until it says locks me out, you know, like wrong code too many times. And I'm standing there and they're all in the car and I'm just like, oh man, this is not a good start, right? This is not a good start to how we plan things. And of course, Jeanette, she's a planner, but she's also a ringer of hands when things don't go right. And so she's like, everything, well, we were, I mean, they were, they were all sick. I didn't, I didn't get sick at all, but I got to care for all of them for about a week. It was really great. And they were sick and uh, now they did okay. We ended up getting to do all, most of the things that we planned to do. But isn't that how life goes, right? We've been planning this holiday for months and months. We had all of these things scheduled out, but life just doesn't always go as planned. Now, I don't share that story with you so you feel bad for me, okay? We got, while they were sleeping and resting, I slept and rested. We got refreshed. We had a great time together as a family, and I got to lay on the couch and watch some TV, which was really nice. So we all got what we wanted and needed. But that's often how life goes. Things just don't work out how we plan. Things don't Uh, really happen as we want. And no matter how well we plan, no matter how far in the future we look, no matter how much we lay things out, when we arrive there, it's never what you thought it would be. And it never turns out, it doesn't work out exactly as you thought it would. And that's because life is not an easy journey, is it? Life is difficult. Life is challenging. It's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's filled with so many hazards along the way on the road of life. And while, yes, there are many joys, and I love living for God, and I love my family, and I love all of the things that God has given to us, oftentimes it can be plagued by sorrow. Life can be confusing. Life can be, at times, terrifying, can't it? I mean, literally filled with fear as you look towards the future, not knowing what it is that is ahead. And it's because... Life is challenging. Our needs for the journey is never ending. Often we feel helpless. We feel overwhelmed sometimes by the circumstances of life. And what that tells us is that it's very clear that we were not meant to do life on our own. And that's the reason I share that thought with you this morning is that understanding all of the difficulties and the challenges and and the fear of life that is out there, what it tells us is that we are not... (laughs) meant to live life on our own. We need a guide. We need somebody who's going to watch over us. We need someone to help us navigate the perils and the difficulties of this life. And that's why we find ourselves in a study of Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 is a passage, I'm I'm sure you understand this, but next to John 3.16 is probably one of the most famous and most well-loved passages in all of Scripture. Charles Spurgeon, who's called the Prince of Preachers, who also himself battled depression and great sorrow and difficulty in his life, he called Psalm 23, he called it the Pearl of the Psalms. It is a psalm that uh, many turn to in times of trouble. Maybe you yourself have quoted it during great times of difficulty. Maybe you, as a child, stood and quoted it, maybe at some uh, family's funeral. Uh, maybe you've heard it uh, in church, you've heard it taught, and you've heard it preached. It's one of the most well-known passages And truly, as Christians, we love it for its richness and its theology and its powerful truths. And as we begin our study together, and I'm very excited, over the next several weeks, we're going to be walking verse by verse, line by line through this very familiar psalm. I believe that it can help us to understand and to really, and, and really the goal for me and for you is that we would simply find confidence in his care as the subtitle really of the series is. That you as an individual, recognizing the challenges and recognizing the difficulties of this life, that you would put your confidence and your trust in the loving shepherd who truly does have everything that you need. He can be the guide that you need. 
So as we begin it together, I want for us to go ahead and read this psalm in its entirety. And I want us to all quote it out loud together. Sound good? So to help us with that, I've got, I've got the uh, words up here on the screen. And so I want us all just, to just if, if uh, you can pull it up on your Bible if you want, but for sake of all of us being on the same page, if you want to look up here at the screen, and I want for us just to quote it together. Maybe you know it, maybe you've memorized it, but I really do believe that we'll see this passage in a whole new way when we complete this study together as we look at our guide. So let's read together. Ready? Begin in verse number one. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, let's, you got to do better than that. All right? <laughs> I heard Chris. Okay, here we go. Ready? Let's try it again. Let's start from the beginning. Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Great job. You guys did really good. <laughs> You're like, I didn't come to church to read, Pastor. I came to listen. Great. Now, there's no doubt when you study the background of many of the Psalms, there's no doubt that David wrote this Psalm. It is definitely understood that David, the king of Israel, a man who is after God's own heart, wrote this psalm. Now, a psalm, if you're wondering what a psalm is, a psalm is basically a poem that is put to music. And so in Israel, they would sing many of these uh, songs, and maybe you've sung a song uh, based off of Psalm 23, but David, of course, we know was someone who wrote many psalms, uh, many of the ones that we see uh, in scripture. Of course, there was other people that were involved as well, but this one, no doubt, was written by David. There is, there is no doubt at all. Now, some scholars believe that he wrote this when he was very young, and it's kind of easy to picture it, right? You know, you think of David, and you know, the little sheep out there, like, eh, you know, like on the field, and, and he's sitting there, and he's young, and he's strong, and he's got, you know, biceps, and he's got his little harp, you know, and he's just playing, and the Lord is my shepherd, you know, and of this just awesome, like, picturesque type of an environment. scholars believe this way, and I, I certainly am inclined to believe this as well, because there's no, there's no real timing that's given to us. Some of the Psalms say, like, for example, on uh, Friday night, I read Psalm 63, and at the beginning of the Psalm, it says, a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. So then we can connect it to the book of 1 Samuel. We know where he was, what he was going through. There's no time frame. There's nothing at all really connected to this Psalm. And so when you read it, though, as we just did, and you look at it, I, I certainly am inclined to fall into the category that believes that this was not a young David that wrote this. This is not the observations of a 17-year-old. <laughs> I think as you study this book, what you discover is that these are the observations of somebody with maturity, somebody who is experienced, somebody who has thoughtfulness, uh, somebody, and really the psalm is evidence of a man that has learned good by knowing evil, somebody who has uh, fully tested Somebody who has fully experienced the grace of God that he is testifying of, of. And so in this psalm, what I see here is something that is born out of the real world experience of David the king. Some people believe that he wrote this during the time of exile while Absalom had taken over the throne and he was in a very difficult and a deep, dark valley. 
But regardless, this carries with it a maturity to it, the the understanding of somebody who's mature in their faith, somebody who genuinely has a relationship with God and has lived some life. And that's what we see here in this passage, and that's why we find, and so many people find, uh, so much help and strength to live the Christian life in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, because this is written from somebody with some real experience, with a real walk with God. So as we come to verse number one, What we begin to see here is where David sets the tone for the whole chapter. Today's message is kind of like a setup for the rest of the the series. As he sets up some things, and he begins for us here by identifying some key terms. You remember when you were in high school and there was a test coming up, you know, and your teacher's like, you need to know the key terms, right? I know for me, I hated that because I was like, what are the key terms? And I have to ask my neighbor, like, hey, what are, what are we supposed to know? I was that kind of a student, you know, and, and, uh, and you have this list. You, I gave you this list. You got to know all of these things for the test. And this is kind of what David's doing here. He's defining for us some key terms that set up uh, the rest of the book. So the first thing, or the rest of the chapter, the first thing I want us to notice here is he defines for us the Lord, or he begins with, the Lord is my shepherd. So let's talk about the Lord for a moment. Now, besides the fact that everything in your life should begin with and be filled with a relationship with Christ, David here is very specific in his identification of who this is. In a moment, he's going to call him the shepherd, but who is he? He says, the Lord. Now, he uses the primary uh, name for God that is used in the Old Testament, Yahweh, uh, later on transliterated to Jehovah. But it means that the one who is, the one who uh, was, and the one who is to be. So David here is talking about our God. He's talking about the Lord. Of course, Jesus Christ, the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he's speaking about him in his greatness and his might and his power. And so he's the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come. He is the eternal, uh, all-knowing God. He is all-powerful. He is self-existent. He is the one who is directly responsible for the creation of all things, supernatural and natural. He's talking about the one who is the creator of this great universe that we live in, a universe that is so big, think about this, a universe that is so big that a telescope had to be shot a million miles, 1.6 million kilometers away in order to capture even a small glimpse of our galaxy. I'm sure you've probably heard and seen in the news about this telescope, the, this new telescope that was fired way off. It is, a, think, think about it, 1.6 million kilometers away. And these images that came from that telescope, which to me are just incredible when you see them, these images are not, these are all um, images that have been, uh, what do you call it, superimposed together. Like this image right here is made up of thousands of images that they had to superimpose just to begin to see a little bit of the galaxy that we live in. Now think about that. Did you know that if you went to the closest star to our universe, Alpha Centauri, did you know that? I think that's what it's called, yeah. If you went to that closest star and you turned around and used the telescope technology that we have today, you could not even see the Earth. That's the closest star. (laughs) Think about that. I mean, this, this universe is amazing, and this is the God, this is the Lord that he is talking about here. This is what, who David is saying, the object and the source of everything that's going to be talked about here in these next six verses is all connected to the Lord. And notice how he says, the Lord, that is the only one. He lived in a day where in Egypt they had some 360 gods, a god for every single day of the year. And he's saying, no, 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 I'm not talking about all of these gods. I'm not talking about the Canaanite gods. I'm talking about the Lord, the only one, the true creator of all things. 
And so he's identifying for us. He's saying, listen, this is who he is. But I want you to notice as we continue here in the passage, he says he is the Lord. But notice he is my shepherd. The Lord, the creator of all things, is my shepherd. Now think about that for a moment. It's kind of surprising to see the words Lord, the creator of all things, and shepherd in such close proximity to each other. But the reality is, is that it's a very common metaphor, a very common image that is used throughout Scripture to identify and connect the relationship of God with his people. As far back as Jacob, God is referred to as a shepherd of the people. Throughout the New Testament, of course, we know he's described as the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd. And those, of course, we know, we talked about this a few, a few months ago in our series on I Am, the Good Shepherd. We also have talked about how those that are tasked with caring for the flock of God, the church, pastors are referred to as shepherds. So this is a very common theme that we see throughout scripture here, but David is making a very, very specific and incredible point. And I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else today, get this, okay? okay what he is saying is that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the amazing, marvelous ever-existing God has taken on the menial task of shepherding you and shepherding me. Now think about that for a moment. He's saying the Lord, the great God, is my shepherd. He is intimately my shepherd. Now the image, as I mentioned, the metaphor of sheep and shepherd was something that was very common in David's day. And, and also, besides that, it was a reality of, of their culture. And so, to help us understand a little bit better the really what David is talking about, some guy with a hook and, you know, just throwing sheep around, you know? And we think of sheep, we think of some dumb video of some sheep jumping into a rut and his shepherd pulling him out and he jumps right back into it. You know, that was a great video. <laughs> and uh, we think of those things and, and, and we kind of, we don't really understand what it was like. And so uh, what I'm going to do throughout the series is really try to connect this into that culture and an understanding of how it, how David would have been describing it and why he would have used this metaphor for us. But for David, who grew up the son of a shepherd, who was a shepherd himself, and for those that he wrote to and those that would have been singing and, and uh, reading this psalm, they would have connected the dots, I think, far quicker for us. So I want to help us to understand this ancient role of the shepherd. Now, the one thing that we need to understand about the shepherd and the sheep is that the shepherds, I'm talking about a, a, a human shepherd at this point, a shepherd was responsible and cared for every need of their sheep. When it came down to it, the shepherd was the guy, <laughs> He was the one who cared for every aspect of them. He helped them give birth. Uh, he, he fed them. He protected them. Uh, he led them. He, he uh, rescued them, and he disciplined them. And for all practical purposes, the shepherds lived with their sheep. Now, there was another contrast, though, in that day, which is really interesting. There were the shepherds, the ones who loved and cared for their sheep. But in Scripture, we see a reference to another type of person and it's somebody that maybe a wealthy individual would hire to care for their sheep, and they were called a hireling. Remember, we talked about that just recently in our study. And a hireling was somebody who was just hired, get it, hireling, they were hired to watch over the sheep. But the difference between a hireling and a shepherd is that very often hirelings did not actually care for their sheep. 
And so this, there was this very clear distinction in the minds of, of an Israelite person, the difference between a shepherd, oh, you're a shepherd, oh, and you're a hireling, I take care of somebody else's sheep. There was a great distinction because hirelings uh, oftentimes uh, didn't really care as they should for their sheep. Uh, later on, uh, we know that in John uh, chapter uh, sorry, John chapter 10, Jesus, in referring to this, says that the, the hireling, they were the ones that ran away when an animal came. They're the ones that ran away from the sheep and left them to be destroyed and to be slaughtered uh, when, when something difficult came along. The hirelings were the one that flee, but the shepherd is the one that stayed. So the distinction that I want us to understand is that a shepherd, the difference between a shepherd and a hireling is not in their job description. They're supposed to do the same function, but the difference was in their hearts. The shepherd owned these sheep. And so as a result, they invested everything into them. This, this passage is intensely personal. Notice how Jesus, or uh, David here says, he says that he is my shepherd. And this is a unique distinction between any of the other Psalms that reference God as a shepherd. In uh, Psalm 28, Psalm 80, Psalm 95, Psalm 100, uh, they're referred to as uh, um, uh, the shepherd or our shepherd. But here, it's, a, it's very personal. He says he is my shepherd. Even throughout, the pronouns are personal, he and me. They're, they're a personal, intimate thing because this is not about a shepherd and his flock. This is about the shepherd and one of his sheep. To me, that is just so encouraging. Because he's not just saying like, oh, it's for everybody. Because sometimes in scripture, when he talks about us or the church, you know, or or the group or the body, we, we often in our minds, we don't apply it to ourselves, we apply it to somebody else. But here he's saying, no, the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. It's about, it's me. It's between me and God. And it's a wonderful thing to know that our God wants to be my shepherd. Now, you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, well, how is it that David could say that? How could this man lay claim to God as his personal shepherd? How, 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 uh, you know, <laughs> how proud of David to say he's my shepherd and nobody else's? No, he didn't. He's not saying that. The reason that he could make that claim, the reason that he could claim that God was his shepherd is because it all comes down to ownership. David knew and understood that he was one of God's sheep. And that's why he could say, he is my shepherd. David knew that he was the object of the great shepherd's affection. And the great thing is, is that you and I can know the exact same thing today. You and I can know because we trust what scripture tells us that Jesus paid for our sins. And that when we accept his gift of salvation, we become his and we are adopted into his family. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 tells us, for you are bought with a price. God paid for you. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I reference uh, John 10, which is a great passage of parallel to this. We'll reference it many times throughout the study. But Jesus said that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And what happens? I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Uh, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. See, you and I can claim Jesus as our shepherd because of his promise to save those that call upon him. And if you're saved today, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior, what you can understand is that he is yours and you are his. There's an ownership, in essence, agreement that comes together. We are adopted into his family. We become a part of the flock and he cares for us then and he loves us and he guides us. And we, like David, can say, he is my shepherd. It's like a proud parent at a sports event, you know? Our boys play baseball, and we go there, and sometimes some kid does a great thing, you know? Sometimes my kids do great things, too. Uh, but 
occasionally, all right? But other kids, you know, they do great things. And sometimes you'll hear a parent in the crowd be like, that's my boy, you know, right? That's my girl, you know, uh, right? Uh, and that's kind of cool, you know? I've always wanted to shout that from the stands, you know? That's my boy, you know? And why? Because I'm proud in, in I don't own him, you know what I'm saying, but he's mine. <laughs> I, I played a role in his life, I'll just say, okay? I played a role in him being here. And I say, that's my boy, and I'm proud of it. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, that's my shepherd. God, the creator of all things, he's my shepherd. How does he know that? Because he has a relationship with God. He has a relationship with him. And so he knows that there, because of who he is, there's nothing too big for God, and there's nothing that is out of his control. See, it is the nature of the shepherd, and it's imperative for us to understand the relationship here that the shepherd loves and cares. There's an ownership. And so the shepherd makes an effort, all effort to care for every need of his sheep. But there's another aspect to this that we need to understand. See, David is writing and he's saying that I am a shepherd, but, or uh, God is his shepherd, sorry, but what he is, I guess, not saying here, but what is understood is that he's saying that I'm a sheep. He's saying I'm a sheep. Now, someone is quoted as saying a sheep is all of the things that we do not want to be. And I just love this picture, by the way. I think it's great. <laughs> a sheep is all of the things that we do not want to be. Let me explain. David is saying he's my shepherd, which means David is saying I'm a sheep, right? Now, David did not say that ignorantly. He knew what a sheep was. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> Just Google dumb sheep. You'll find some really interesting things, okay? <laughs> sheep are stubborn. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are without a sense of direction. They're prone to wander. They're slow to recognize danger. They're nervous. They're uneasy. They're early, easily excitable, and they're easily frightened. <laughs> One thing that we know for sure about sheep is this. Their life expectancy is severely shortened if they're left to themselves. <laughs> the odds that they're going to survive a night or two without a shepherd is pretty slim. That's why Jesus in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, in his reaction to the Jewish people said this. He says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them. Why? Because they fainted and were scattered abroad. How? As sheep having no shepherd. See, Jesus knows that <laughs> when we are left to ourselves, we're a problem. <laughs> and we're going to find ourselves in some problems. So when David here is saying that the Lord is his shepherd, David is acknowledging that he is a sheep. And it's not flattering to say that, by the way. It's not a flattering thing to, to admit this, but rather what he is doing is he's highlighting the fact that as a sheep, uh, he doesn't know what he's doing. And if he's ever going to enjoy the marvelous blessings of his relationship with God, then he's going to have to realize that I am a sheep and God is the shepherd. <laughs> And I need to understand and realize that I have this problem. I rec recognize that I am helpless and that I have a desperate need for a shepherd. That's the only way that we can enter through the door, as John 10 talks about, to the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that we actually need a shepherd. If we understand that we, that we need someone. Now listen, this is so important because we live in a time and we live in a day and age where no one wants to admit that anything is wrong with them. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Man, what a tough time to live in. <laughs> Nobody wants to recognize and no one will admit that there's anything wrong. We live in a society of people that truly believe they are perfect. And because they believe that they are perfect and they believe that there's nothing wrong, uh, that there's no, nothing wrong inside of them at all, because of that, it leads to them trying to handle life and trying to handle this world on their own. 
And that's why we see people going to such extremes in our, in our society today. They're in these huge extremes, and they're going to desperate measures for what? For belonging, right? For identity, for fulfillment. They, they'll do anything to try to, to prove to themselves and to prove to everybody else that I've got everything figured out, and, and I, I can do this all on my own. And we live in this type of society, but the fact is, is that they are simply sheep without a shepherd, because it only ends up in destruction, Many of you have lived your life or great portions of your life as a sheep without a shepherd. And you know what it's like to be far away from the guidance of God. You know what it's like to try to live life on your own and try to make the right decisions on your own and try to, try to figure everything out on your own. And you suffered the consequences of those decisions. And that's the society that we live in. We live in a place where everyone thinks that everything is okay, but as people who believe the Bible and people who understand scripture and understand ourselves and are actually introspective and really truly can look inwardly, we know that we need help, don't we? We know that within us there is no good thing. Paul said that in his flesh there's nothing good in it at all. In his letter when he wrote to Titus, uh, he said this, he said, for we ourselves were sometimes foolish. He's describing what they were before Christ. We were foolish we were disobedient. We were deceived. Uh, we were serving diverse lusts and pleasures. We were living in malice and envy and hateful. Uh, we were hating one another. The truth that you and I need to admit this morning is that we need a guide. We need a guide. Now, this does not mean that we live in some sort of like self-deprecating way, you know? I'm the worst, right? Uh, life is terrible. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. Man, the Christian life is full of joy, isn't it? It's a lot of fun. But what we need to recognize is that we need a guide. We need help. We need someone, someone to step in. And when we do that, when you are able to, as an individual with the free will that God has given you, recognize that I need a savior, when that happens, what it does is it opens the door to the answer that you're searching for, and that answer is a savior. The answer is the Lord. The answer is God. And recognizing that can help us turn to God as our shepherd. Now, some of you, like I mentioned, many of you have said, I've lived, I've lived my life in that way, and it was a struggle. What was the turning point? It was you realizing, I cannot do this on my own. I've tried. I've tried everything, and it's not working out. I'm still empty. I'm still searching. Did you know that many of your acquaintances at work and in your family that are without Christ, that is how they feel all of the time. And even though they put it out there that they got everything figured out and I've got everything, everything's good to go. I tell you, they are searching. I've shared this with you guys before, but I think it, it bears repeating. Oftentimes when I talk with people and, you know, I always ask people like, hey, what are you doing? What do you do for work? And if I'm just meeting somebody for the first time and I want to share the gospel with them, the first question I ask them after I get to know them, I say, you know, what are you doing? And hey, I'm doing this. I work here. And I'll say this, I'll say, you know, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. It sounds like you got things figured out. And I always ask them this, but let me ask you one question. Do you ever feel like you're still just missing something in life? And I'll just tell you this, no matter how wealthy they are, no matter how much they got figured out in life, I've never had somebody say to me, no, I've got it all figured out. Every single time they say, you know what? I do feel like there's something missing. What is that? That's God. Even if they've, if they've got all the money and they've got everything sorted out, Without Christ, it's nothing. And they're just going to be continually searching and continually trying to fill that. But what we understand is that Jesus, the creator, our God, he knows that about us. 
And so when we recognize that and understand it in our own heart, we're able then to really follow into what he's called us to do. Here's what I mean. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, Jesus' call to us is that we would come to him when we're suffering, come to him when we are struggling. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, and uh, my phone just went out, Josh, so maybe you can do the slides for me, sorry. Uh, I don't know, it just crashed. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that happens all the time, as you guys know. <laughs> I think we just need to run a wire or something so I can click my slides, I'm like an old school clicker, you know. Um, in John chapter 6, verse 37, he said, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Here's the point. If you recognize your need of a savior and you look for a savior, he says, come on, (laughs) come on. He's not going to resist us. He's not going to reject us. I love what Julia said earlier on in the scripture. You know, it doesn't matter what you've done and where you've come from. God is saying there, I want to be your shepherd. I want to connect with you. I want to, I want to lead you. I want to guide you. He's already proven his love for you on the cross. God doesn't have to prove anything to us. He died on the cross for our sins so that you could come before him and say, God, I need, I need you. I need help. I need a guide. And so David here so perfectly describes for us that the Lord is my shepherd. So my question is for us this morning, have you given yourself to his absolute ownership? Have you individually surrendered your life? Have you exchanged the, the fickle and the temporary pursuits and the joy and the adventure of living a life being guided completely by God? Have you made that decision in your life? See, the tragic truth is that there are many people who claim the Lord is my shepherd, sadly. There's a lot of people in this life and in this world who uh, say that uh, if I say these words and, and I, I just sort of claim it and you know, name it and claim it, then uh, I'm going to enjoy the benefits and the care and his management without leaving behind our fleshly pursuits and leaving behind our worldly desires. But the thing is, you can't have it both ways. Some of you try to live that life. <laughs> you can't walk the fence. You can't have it two ways. You are either his or you aren't. And when you are his, it means you take up the cross and you follow him. There's no, there's no walking a middle path. Even Jesus warned of this in Matthew 7, verse 21. He says, not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my father, which is in heaven. Verse 22, he says that many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? They say to him, hey, we've used your name. We've done these things. But verse 23 says, then I will, uh, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Now think about the seriousness of that for a moment. There are many who say, yep, the Lord is my shepherd. Yeah, for sure. Jesus, right? But Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that are working iniquity. See, it's a very serious and a sobering thought that should make us search our own hearts and our own motives, and honestly, our personal relationship with God. The question is, is do you belong to him, first of all? Have you settled the question of salvation? Have you settled the question of eternity? What I mean by that is, do you know for sure that when you leave this life, you will be forever with God in heaven? Do you know that? Okay, that's that's what you gotta get sorted out right away. That's the first thing. 
So if so, you say, yeah, Pastor Paul, I'm a Christian, I was saved, and, and I know that Jesus is my Savior. Do you recognize his right then to your life? Have you, have you made him your personal shepherd? Say, God, it's me and you, and I need you, Lord. The other question is, would you respond to his authority and acknowledge the fact that he is your shepherd? And as a result of his ownership and, and your surrender to him, that there is a, a back and forth relationship. There's a connection that needs to take place. There's a surrendering, there's an obedience, there's a following of the shepherd. If so, then you can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And I promise you, if this is true, if you could say to me and look me in the eye and say, Pastor, man, the Lord is my shepherd. I, 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 recognize, I recognize that I need help. And I've trusted in him as my Lord and Savior, and I need his guidance, and I need his leading, and he is my shepherd. I can promise you this. If you have committed to that, then you will, you will thrive in this life, no matter what is thrown your way, no matter what confusing situations, no matter what sorrow, no matter what difficulty, no matter what, what relationship difficulties, no matter what challenges come your way that you feel, I cannot do this on my own, if you have surrendered and he is your Shepherd, then it is possible for you to thrive with joy and experience the fulfilled Christian life as a result of that commitment to him. So the question is, is the Lord your shepherd today? Have you claimed, God, you are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. 